Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our 6pm service. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good evening, 6pm. It's great to see you all. Why don't you grab a seat? Uh, We are at the very end, as Danny said, of our Who We Are series, looking through our vision and values, who we are as a church family. Who can name all five values with me? Anyone go, we, we looked at, we hunger for the presence of God. We teach the Bible for every day. We value the ones. We live with abundant generosity. And tonight we're looking at, we raise tomorrow's leaders. I have the absolute privilege, actually, of journeying with a small group of young leaders uh, and going on the journey of of learning what it means to be a leader together. I love that journey, and I wanted to invite them to my house. We've got a new place, never been there a few people have never been there before, and I wanted to invite them over for dinner, come across. And I could say to them, when you leave the church here, you've got to go up the driveway, turn left, go around the hook turn, go down the end of that street, hit the bottom under the dip, uh, and come up to the top of that curve. Turn right up to the corner of Mount Cabalabar Road, wait there, because those lights take forever. Uh, wait there for a bit till the lights turn green, turn right. Go past the service station, over the hill, down the hill again as you're going down towards the, the lights of death, I call them, where the red light camera is. Everyone here knows what that is, right? Don't go through them. You want to turn left before you even get there. Uh, go up onto the exit onto the Gateway Motorway. Go along the Gateway Motorway for about 3.2 kilometers. You're going to take the next exit. Don't take the Rochdale exit, though. You want to go just a little bit further than that and take the, the uh, Pacific Motorway exit. Go along the Pacific Motorway exit. Uh, merge onto the Pacific Motorway. Go along that way for another 5.1k it is, and you take the next exit. That exit's a bit weird. You have to go off and you work yourself around to a, to a roundabout, take the first left. Now you're actually weirdly going back the direction you just came, uh, along the side street, back against the Pacific Motorway, get to the lights, turn left, then go over the overpass uh, where you just went under. Uh, curve around to the left, get around to the roundabout, take the third exit to the right and go past a specially good store. Down the dip, round the corner, up the street for about another kilometre. At the end of that street, turn left, go past a pet, a pet barn, a special, another specially good store, a barber, a German sausage place that I really want to try one day because it looks awesome. I don't know whether it's a German sausage place or a front for a biker gang, I don't really know, but People are there all the time. Turn, take left at the chemist. This is our street. Go down about half the way, turn into our driveway, knock on the door, you are welcome. Or I could take a leaf out of Jesus' book and say three simple words. Come, follow me. It'd be much easier to do. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus says these three simple words to his disciples. If you want to read it on the screen, you can. If you've got your Bible, it's Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, uh, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. See, Jesus doesn't give instructions for these guys about what that's going to look like, what leadership skills they'll need. He doesn't give them a vision or paint them, or paint them a picture. He doesn't give them a strategic plan. He doesn't even give them a whole bunch of stuff they need to know to put in their toolkit to be able to make this vision come to pass. He doesn't uh, tell them what responsibilities they have, how they split up their time. He doesn't give them all the things that they need to make that happen. He simply has an invitation that says... Come, follow me. It's important for us today in the 21st century to grasp how important these three words would have been 
for young fishermen. See, when we casually read Mark's gospel, it says, come follow me. You go, okay, cool, they followed him. We miss something really important here. See, from the age of five, Jewish boys were invited uh, and taught in the synagogue. It's the education system. Part of this education system for them is called Bet Safar. They're invited from the age of five into the synagogue to learn, to be, to be stuffed full of their head with the knowledge of who God is, what the history of what he's done, uh, the, the, the stories of what God had done through generation after generation and the traditions of their people. And by the age of 10, it was not uncommon for these studious boys in Jewish culture uh, to be able to recite the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. If you think about that for a second, if you've got your Bible in front of you, have a bit of a think about that. It's pretty slim. It's actually pretty thick, sorry, is what I meant to say. It's about that much pages. It doesn't look like much on the page here, but to know it off by heart, to be able to retell the story word for word without missing a beat, studious boys could do all of this by the age of 10. At the age of 10, I could barely put my shirt on front ways. They could recite that. But if they wanted to continue on, they could. See, they would be able to invite to come back and learn what's called the Talmud in the, in the, uh, in the, 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 from the Torah experts, basically. They were called rabbis. You'd come to the synagogue again. You would learn more and more of the stories. You'd actually go through more of what we would call the Old Testament. They'd learn about the prophets. They'd learn about the history and the judges. They would learn about all kinds of things. They would learn about the Psalms. They would be able to memorize all the songs of their people. They would learn the Proverbs and the wisdom. They would pretty much learn all of the Old Testament, right up to the end of the prophets. If you're looking at your Bible, again, that's a lot of content. That's about up to, let me get it right, here. That much content. Knowing it deep in their heart, knowing it from their mind, they would know this much stuff. At the age of 15, they could recite it word for word. I don't know about you, at the age of 15, I could barely tie my shoes up straight. Think about when you were 15. Could you have memorized all of this? This is definitely where I would have dropped out. I would have dropped out at this stage here. So by the age of 15, most of the Jewish boys would completely wash out of school. They would go back to their families, and their families say, oh, you, there's no way you were going to be able to go any further in the education system, so we'll teach you our trade. They would become carpenters or fishermen or tent makers, or whatever it might be. They went back to their family to help provide for their families and their community and help the system of the economy go unless you were bright, like crazy bright, the brightest of the brightest. See, if you were 15, you would not only get to stay in the synagogue and learn about all, all of the Old Testament, you'd actually personally get called under the tutelage of a rabbi. You would get to roam the countryside with this teacher, this wise guy. You would learn and live under their life. You would model your life after them because they were teaching what they would call the midrash. Here, they would take uh, the, all the things they'd learned in Scripture and how they applied it to daily life. So all the things they're looking through in the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, they would take it and try and apply it and put it into practice. And they would debate, what does it look like to work on the Sabbath? What does it look like to do all these things in the law? They would spend time debating it. They would spend time figuring out what their faith looked like in the day-to-day. And if you were the brightest of the brightest, you got to go under the personal teaching of a rabbi living how they lived. It was one of the highest honors of Jewish society to be invited under the, the, the wing or the cloak of a rabbi. So for these boys, what does it tell us about them, right? They're fishermen. Simon, Andrew, James and John, Simon's also called Peter later on, they're teenagers. At tops about 18 years of age. 
They're on the beach mending the nets because they wash out of school. They were only good enough to get a certain distance. There was high school dropouts. And they would go back to their nets and begin to learn their trade, which is fishermen, being fishermen. Young teenage boys. They flunked out. They're not the best of the best. They have no hope of being called under the teaching of a rabbi. They've got no hope of that because they have dropped out and they're back on the beach mending their nets. When suddenly, out of nowhere, a rabbi comes along. And not just any rabbi, mind you. A rabbi whose name is starting to get around because of all the miracles and the healings that are happening across Judea. Jesus, a rabbi, comes to these fishermen and says, come follow me. There's no test to pass. There's no required explanation of why they'd flunked out of school, why they don't have the grades to match up. There's no qualifications or signed documents needed. There's no scholarship fund needed. There's no uh, parental consent, which seems a bit weird for teenage guys. They just are sent off. It's the highest honor. Their parents are like, please go, go for it. There's no thinking or planning about how their families will provide in their absence. They've been banking on these boys, being fishermen at the nets, providing for their family. There's no worrying about what to bring or if they're prepared or if they're qualified. There's no, nothing but an invitation for these teenage high school dropouts from Jesus that says, come follow me. Can you see that these three words would have been everything to these boys? Absolutely everything. No hope of ever being called under the, under the wing of a rabbi and suddenly Jesus comes along and invites them. It would have been everything to them. See, Jesus invited them into his story. He invited them under his teaching, how to, to wrestle with the law and put it into practice. It's a story where these teenagers and these fishermen saw miracle and the raw unbridled power of God an eternal hope that their lives and the future and the future of their nation would be different. Three years of seeing the kingdom of God break through from heaven to earth and change everything. Their lives were transformed. Three years of, because of everything that Jesus did and said. Come follow me was an invitation for young teenagers whose only lot in life was to catch fish until their backs wouldn't let them catch fish anymore. It was an invitation into a life that would completely transform their destiny. See, come follow me is an amazing invitation, but it's also an invitation for these fishermen, these young teenage boys, into a story where they experience the darkest night of the soul. When Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's crucified. See, come follow me wasn't and isn't today an invitation into a perfect life. But it is, it was and is, an invitation into a life of meaning, purpose, and solidarity with the one who was crucified to cover our sin. But it's also a story where Jesus' resurrection and victory over sin and death changed everything. They got to see it firsthand right there with him. See, they were there when the darkness of Good Friday burst forth into the hope and light of Easter Sunday. These guys were fishermen. They were there at the very start of the church, the start of what we are doing here tonight. They were seen, Acts 4 tells us, as ordinary men. But there is incredible transformation, all because Jesus invited them and said, Come, follow me. Come, follow me is everything to these teenagers. It's everything for them. 
And I think it's important for us just to stop and pause here for a second as we grasp how important this moment is for those boys, those just young early disciples. Because it's an invitation that Jesus extends to all of us here tonight right now. Come follow me, Jesus says. Come experience the life that he lived and the fullness of life that he calls us into right now. It's an invitation to come and know a peace that passes all understanding when our hearts and the world are only full of anxiety. It's an invitation to see the world through new eyes, to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, a world of wonder, of hope, opportunity that bring, to bring the good things of God from heaven to earth right now that we all might live a little more freely and a little more lightly together. It's an invitation to come and live in the truth that in our hardest moments, when it seems like there is no hope and it is dark all around us, it's an invitation for us to know that he is with us, walking with us, holding us closely, calling us his own child. He's even praying for us right here, right now, at this very moment, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus calls us to follow him. No matter what our own life looks like, no matter our education, how much money we've got in our bank balance, no matter what person we're sitting next to, no matter what we do during the week, there's an invitation from Jesus that is eternal. Come follow me, he says, and I'll show you a world that's different. I can lead you in a world that's different. There's no strings attached to this invitation. It's an invitation to choose to follow him, his ways, words, and works. It's a holy invitation. But there's more to this story than just accepting this invitation for ourselves. There's more to it than that. See, after Jesus' resurrection, his last command to his disciples begins with Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age, he says. See, it's an invitation to follow him, but it's also a command to go and do likewise to every person we meet, to those in our lives, to, to, to say, come follow him with me. Are you willing to do that tonight? Are you willing to take the challenge, accept the invitation that Jesus wants to do something in us, but also take the command seriously to go to someone in our life and say, come follow him with me. Come follow him with me. It doesn't matter what age we are, the invitation is there. See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You might have heard it this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Will you help others see Jesus in you? by asking them, come follow him with me. And I reckon if we're invited to follow Jesus and then commanded to invite others to follow him, there's a really simple principle I want us to really own tonight at Gateway, 6 p.m. Something that we can put into practice tonight that will change our trajectory of our life. It's by asking this question, who's your one up and who's your two down? I'll unpack this, what I mean. So in your own life, 
Who is one person that can be your one-up? Someone that invests their life into you, encourages you when you are down, who speaks life and wisdom, who challenges you when maybe you're perhaps not living a godly life. Who's your one-up? Someone that you go up to that can reach into your life and say, hey, Bradley, I need to speak to you about this. I can invest into you. I can teach you. I can coach you through this. I can mentor you through this. Who's your one-up? Because I want to say this to mostly a young crew in the the room tonight. If you can get a one-up for your life, you are richer than most of the rest of the world. Honestly, if you can get someone who cares so deeply about you that they want to see you flourish and grow and make a difference in your life, make wise choices, impact the kingdom around you, if you can find that one person, that one person who will always be there to take that phone call and reach into your life and challenge you, particularly challenge you, when you don't know what's going on, you'll be richer than the richest person on the planet. They can speak into your life and draw something out of you. And I want to introduce you to a lady who's been my one-up, who was my one-up for decades. On the screen, you'll see a picture of a a young 18-year-old Bradley, about the same age as the fisherman. A lot less gray in my hair in that day, a much skinnier face, right? This is Bradley, and this is a lady called Anne Diet, but I only ever called her Mrs. Diet. I first met Mrs. Diet in grade four. Mrs. Diet was my grade four religious instruction teacher. Every Tuesday afternoon at Raceview State School in Ipswich, Mrs. Diet would come in at about, I think it's two o'clock in the afternoon. She had a gift in RI. I've sat through some RI teachers that aren't so great, but Mrs. Diet had an incredible gift. She was a storyteller. You knew you were in for a good day when Mrs. Diet came out, popped up an easel, pulled out and rolled out a green felt board, popped it on the easel, and began to put, no joke, little um, felt characters that she had crafted and created herself and would tell stories on this green easel of the stories of Jesus. And I'd grown up in, in Sunday school hearing all these stories, but she made these stories come alive for me. For the whole class, in fact, she was an incredible storyteller. Mrs. Diet also happened to go to my church. I didn't know this at the time. Um, she would go to the early service and I would go to the late service. But once we realized we both went to the same church, every week, without fail, Mrs. Diet, who became my one-up, would stop me between the services. She'd wait until my family got there from grade four till the day that she died. She would seek me out, grab me by the hand, and say, Bradley, how is your faith with Jesus this week? For 15, 16, I don't even know how many years it was, she, every week, without fail, she was a touchstone to my week. A week where she would reach my hand and say, Bradley, how was your faith with Jesus this week? As a grade four kid, I don't really know how to answer that question. As a teenager, I would just say, good, and kind of walk on into the church to sit with my friends at the back and cause a ruckus at the back of church. But as I got older, as I, my faith began to develop, as I gave my life to Jesus in grade 10, began to live my life faithfully, <clears throat> Mrs. Diet, every week, would grab my hand Bradley, how's your faith with Jesus this week? And we would begin to have discussions that would make me late for church. I would hear stories from her about her faithfulness, about what God had been doing in her life that week. I begin to share honestly about my own life every single week, Mrs. Diet. This is what God is up to. This is what God is speaking into my life right now. She was someone who was my one-up. I didn't invite her to do it. She just decided, I'm going to invest in this young Bradley because I see something in him, maybe, just maybe. And I'm going to ask him, how's his faith going this week? That question meant everything to me every week. 
I'm, I'm going to say tonight, it doesn't matter what age you are, here tonight, you can ask that question of someone else. Whether you're the youngest person in the room, whether you're the oldest person in the room, you are never too old or too young to ask someone, how is your faith with Jesus going this week? Find someone to be your one-up. Or if you're here today, you need to find someone. Ask that question for someone else. I went to visit Mrs. Dyer one day for a cup of tea, and she would tell me stories that her family were refugees. They left a war in Eastern Europe, and get this, they packed up their belongings, put it in a carton on backpacks. They walked the entire continent from the east to Eastern Europe, across the continent of Asia, down through the islands, catching boats, and landed in Australia. In the early 1900s, the family, she would tell stories that she didn't know any of the language. She didn't know English at all. Her family felt a bit outcast because there was a bit of um, uh, suspicion of people who were foreigners at the time. But she found a community. She found a community in Ipswich, funnily enough, of all places. Does anything good come out of Ipswich? He found a place in Ipswich where a family, a church family, adopted them as a family, taught them the language, invited them in, helped them find jobs, and made them, made them part of their community. It changed Mrs. Diet's life. And because she was so impacted by someone reaching into her life and saying, Anne, I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to help grow you and I'm going to teach you English. I'm going to invest my life and faith into you. She decided that she wanted to teach other kids the same faith that she'd been implanted into. Four decades, and I'm talking 30 plus years, Mrs. Diet, maybe even four, it was close to 40 years, Mrs. Diet would teach RI every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon in Ipswich to kids. She was so impacted by someone saying, come follow me, that she chose to spend her life doing it for others. It doesn't matter how old you are here tonight. You have the chance to ask someone, come follow him with me. I met her in the car park at Woolies once, just randomly. She was going in just to get some stuff. And she was, literally, no joke, I walked her from the car park into Woolies. She was stopped a dozen times by people who had been kids who were now 30, 40 years old, saying, Mrs. Diet, I remember you from grade four religious instruction. There were kids who she was still teaching to that very day. Say, Mrs. Diet, have a look at this weird little kid thing I made. You know, like they're like, let me look at my art. And like they're kind of showing her stories. She had an impact in, in the city of Ipswich. People knew her. When she, when she passed away, her funeral at our church was a packed affair. It was completely full. And there was not a dry eye in the house as story after story after story of how Mrs. Dyer had impacted someone's life was shared at the funeral. But just before she passed away, about a year or two before she passed away, she had to give up teaching R.I. She just couldn't drive anymore. She was beginning to lose her sight. And I just started taking up teaching R.I. in my local primary school, at the same school. Mrs. Diet had a package for me when I went to visit her. In that package was a green felt board <laughs> with green little cutouts, that she, little cutouts she had made to stick on the thing so that I could tell the same stories. I could retell the story in my own words to the next generation. She gifted that to me and I still have that gift somewhere in a box. This woman meant everything to me because she simply said, Bradley, how's your faith with Jesus this week? Find someone who will do that for you. There are people in this room who will do that for you. There are people at our church family because one of our values is we raise tomorrow's leaders. Someone here at our church family will reach into your life and pour into you if you ask. It takes some courage. 
It'll take courage. But can I encourage you tonight, find the courage. Find someone, whether it's a pastor on staff, whether it's someone older than you, whether it's someone that you trust, find someone. Find someone. I'm going to keep going on. I probably jumped ahead a bit there, so I'm going to come back to that. Uh, make sure that you never underestimate the power of, someone, of someone's encouragement. Never underestimate the power of being encouraged. You need a one-up. Tonight, you need a one-up. Get that in your spirit. You need someone who will encourage you in your faith. But I also want to ask you, who's your two down? Again, it doesn't matter how old you are in the room tonight. You are never too young. You are never too old to invest into someone below you. Jesus was amazing. He did it for 12. We can't, I, I can't do that. Who's two? Who are simply two people that you can see who are growing up around you? They might be peers. They might be people who are younger in the faith than you. They might be someone who's older but younger in the faith than you. Who are two people that you can invest into, reach into their life and share part of your story with them. Be like a rabbi. Bring them under your wing. Teach them about the things that you're learning about Jesus and learn together. I have the privilege of having a number of two downs. Uh, some of them in the room here tonight as well. But I want to I spend some time tonight uh, chatting with Melody Tregenza. Melody, do you want to invite you up to the stage tonight? Could we welcome Melody up tonight? <laughs> Melody, you've been sent out by our church. Uh, you've got a deep passion, and we're going to hear a bit of that passion tonight. Um, but there's been someone in your life that's been your one-up, and someone who's been your student. I want to hear tonight. Who's been someone in your life that you could say is your one-up that's invested into you? I mean, I would say they're more of a two-up yeah, because great. they're a couple, which is it's even better, you know. Um, but basically, if, if you guys don't know, I live in Switzerland. I work with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, um, and it's an incredible place. There's a lot of people that you meet there, incredible leaders that have been on the mission field for their whole life mm. or um, many, just many, many years. So. When I moved to Switzerland, I, um, I have this habit often of observing people, and especially leaders, not in a creepy way, <laughs> but I think you can learn some very valuable things from observing leaders. And so uh, there was this couple, they, um, the husband was Brazilian and the wife was South African. So a very interesting combination, but that's why I'm for you. Um, and I was observing them for so long, and I was so inspired by their passion, by um, how they led, how they led their family as well in missions, because they had three kids, and just their excitement, and I was like, man, I, I want to get to know them, and I got the privilege to work with them more closely, um, and they sort of became like my mentors, and it was it is, it's just been the best thing ever. They have inspired me. They've spoken life into me. They've said to me, looking me in the eyes, Melody, I believe you are a leader. I believe that you have been called here to Switzerland. I believe in what God is doing in your life. And those words meant so much to me, more than you could ever realize. But then on the other side, they spoke truth into me as well. When I needed truth, when I needed the harsh truth, but in love, you know, you need people that will speak the truth into your life and see things and will call it out. And so that is what these people have become to me. And they're incredible. I'm so inspired by how they live their life. And yeah, it's inspired me to go into missions long term as well. And That's I awesome. want to be like them, you know. 
I think that's the key. We want to be like them. It's to yeah. imitate them as they imitate Christ, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've got a couple who's your two up, I guess. Yeah. I want to hear some stories. I love, we'd love to hear some stories of what you're doing in the mission field as well. Mm-hmm. But maybe who's your two down? What are some stories of people whose lives you're investing into right now where you're seeing the kingdom of God break through because of that investment? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had the privilege to staff a DTS school. So it's a, it stands for a discipleship training school. It goes for five months. You do three months of lectures and then two months of an outreach. You learn more about God and then you apply it on outreach, basically. And I had done one of those schools before. I had been um, taught by the staff in that school and now I was staffing it. And we had a bunch of students, about 29, from so many different nationalities from all around the world. And I had the privilege to walk more closely with about seven young girls that were around 18, 19. And that was in my season in the past five months of, of walking with them. And because people had walked with me in that way, I got to share that journey with them. And my job was literally just pointing them to Jesus. And that, I think that's the whole key of discipleship. Like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so there were seven girls that I got to encourage, that I got to speak truth into their lives. And it was incredible to witness the breakthrough in their lives. Because it's not me, but it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And I had the authority to speak on certain things because I had been through them. And now I could walk with them in the same thing. And then there was another girl... I mean, wherever I move to, I always look at what is my mission field, what is right in front of me, who can I uh, encourage, who can I walk with, and right across the road from our YWAM base, there's this big, uh, famous hotel university that um, many students go to, and there was one girl that I got connected with, um, and she had recently become a Christian. She was um, in her past in in witchcraft and, um, yeah, really horrible things. And I met her, and um, it's just been an incredible journey walking with her. And I I got to be with her when she got baptized. I got to be with her to answer her questions, to go on walks with her, to have coffee with her, to listen and to point her to Jesus and to not have all the answers but to tell her that Jesus is enough in her life and that he is good and he is worthy. And um, so, yeah, those are just a few of the people that I've had the privilege to work with. You can tell us stories all night, I'm sure. Can you, <laughs> yeah. see, can you see tonight in Melody sharing that a, your investment in someone else in, is a multiplication factor? Like if someone's invested in you, Melody, you get to invest in others. That's the story of the Christian life. So, Melody, we'd love to pray for you. Is that okay right now? Thank um, you. Guys, why don't you, why don't you just stand to your feet for a second, reach out your hands we pray for Melody, because you'll be going back. What are you heading back? Uh, this Friday, I head yeah. back to Switzerland. Had a whirlwind month back here yeah. in Queensland. Well, as a church, we are committed to you. Uh, we love that you're part of our church family. We love hearing stories of what God is doing in you, but doing through you as well. And we just want to just reach out and bless you tonight as you go back. So, can we do that? Loving Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for Melody right now. I just pray that you would continue to birth a heart for your kingdom on her, on her heart, but you'd also give her the words on her lips to speak in, and encourage those around her. God, I pray for more two downs for her. I pray for more people that she can invest into, but I also pray that as a church family, we can continue to invest and pray for and, and, and spend our life investing into people like Melody. 
God, show us how we can all be good news. That by multiplication, your life and your message of peace and your presence and your kingdom will see, the, see no bounds, not just here in Australia, but right across the world. God, you're good and you're doing good things in Melody's life. We want to pray a blessing on her in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we thank Melody for sharing tonight? Thank you so much. Grab a seat, guys. You can see that God is up to things in our life when we say we're going to have someone invest in us and we're going to invest in others. Who's your one up? Who's your two down? See, Jesus invited 12 leaders to follow him. He invested in their life and leadership and sent them out with, uh, with encouragement to go and make disciples of all nations, just like Melody's doing tonight. In the next generation of the church, Barnabas invested into young leaders like Paul, who invested into young leaders like Timothy to go and, and, and share the gospel and plant churches at some of the toughest and most roughest times in history. See, Paul's one up was Barnabas, but his two downs were uh, Timothy and Silas. Paul invited Timothy, a young guy, to run the church in Ephesus. He invested his life even when he wasn't there with letters. He invested and encouraged him to persevere in fulfilling God's eternal purposes. See, this pattern of invitation, investment, and encouragement continues through generations. One up, two down. Continue it, guys. It's our time right now at Gateway Baptist Church in our little corner of the kingdom to continue the work and do the same thing. That's why. We are committed to raising the next generation of Christ-centered leaders. Our generations ministries do a fantastic job of this week in, week out. But you don't have to just wear a green shirt or a black shirt at youth to invest in our younger generations. See, in fact, we can't leave it to people who just say yes to kids and youth ministry. We all have a part to play. We all have an invitation to accept and a command to live out, to go and make disciples of all nations. Our generations ministries here but our congregation here, our world at large is crying out to hear your heart, your wisdom, your experience, no matter what age you are. Right from 101 to, I guess, 11. It's hard, but maybe even age one. I don't know how to, for grade one, like a one-year-old to actually do this, but everyone is invited. There is no age limit on this invitation. That's why one of our five core values is we raise tomorrow's leaders. There could be so many things we value. There are so many things about God's kingdom that we could value, but we raise tomorrow's leaders. I love that we belong to a church that is willing to raise generations of courageous young followers of Jesus. And it's part of our DNA. Right back from the start, when Edwin Keith purchased that little school hall and we started our church as a Sunday school. That's how we started 93 years ago. It's part of our DNA. Every senior pastor, every person on our ministry team, every volunteer at Team Gateway has got a, a part of our DNA to raise the next generation of leaders. Will you live it out? Will you join it with us together? See, you are part of this generation. Our young adults in the room here tonight, the church, our community, our world needs to hear from you. We will raise tomorrow's leaders because the kingdom of God needs you. It needs us as disciples in an age where the church is becoming irrelevant or is seen to be irrelevant. We know it's not, that's not true. In a world where faith conversations seem to be gone by the wayside, but at the same time, a spiritual hunger has never been higher. The kingdom of God needs us to show up and be salt and light to a world in need.
God's calling us to raise us up as young leaders to be invested into a world that desperately needs us. And as a church, we are committed to you. We're committed to raising leaders. There's a few things we will give you to help you do that. We promise to show up for you. In the times you need us, as your one-up, some of us in the room will be your one-up, we'll invest into you. We'll say yes to giving you everything you need to for a life in Jesus. First Peter, second Peter, I can't remember which Peter it is, but chapter one talks about you have everything you need for a godly life according to his glory and his goodness. It's not up to us, but it is in effect. We're called to pour out our life and our knowledge that you might have everything you need through Jesus who calls you according to his glory and goodness. We'll coach you, we'll impart wisdom, we'll be vulnerable with you and be honest with you. That's a commitment I'll make tonight. But we also promise to learn from you. Promise to genuinely hear from you. I'm getting old. I keep getting, I've got gray hair. I shaved my beard off this week and everyone goes, oh, you look so much younger, but I've got gray hair. It's weird. I'm not young anymore. And I've had to become really comfortable with that. But you are, you're young. You have a whole life that God wants to breathe into you by His Spirit to reach a world in need. And I promise to hear from you. We as a church promise to listen to you, to let you lead us as a church. Because if we just let old fogies like me begin to, to lead and that's all we do, we're forgetting to pass on the keys of the kingdom to a generation that's speaking into a generation. We believe in you. We'll let you lead us. We will pray for you. See, I'm choosing to spend my life encouraging, training, equipping, mobilizing, praying for you, serving you, laying down my life and my leadership for God and for you to see a next generation of women and men lead God's kingdom into the future. God needs you to stand up and say, here I am. He needs you to go out into all the world to say, come follow him with me. See, we need to raise a new generation of leaders to reach a new generation of disciples. The church needs you and the world needs you to set the example. Paul writes to Timothy in his encouragement in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. We wish to stop there, but it doesn't. Newsflash. Don't use this verse wrongly. Don't let someone say, I'm young, I get, the, I get all the chops here. That's not what it says. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers, which is the rest of us, in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Set the example. Set the example for us. Set the example for a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And I believe if you stand up and say, yes, Jesus, here I am. As a young leader, as a young disciple, you take this seriously. 
and you say, I'm going to set the example. We'll see the Holy Spirit break through into our church and speak new words and inspire us and encourage us. We'll have people, young people, leading us uh, by the Holy Spirit. We'll see hearts burning with passion to see friends come to know Jesus more than we ever have before. If you stand up and say, yes, I will be an example. Family members who are distant or close coming to know the life-changing power and message of Jesus will be a generation of disciples who make disciples because if we're honest, we listen to Jesus' words. If we're not a disciple who makes the disciple, we're not really a disciple. Hear that tonight. To be a disciple of Jesus, we have to be a disciple who makes other disciples who make other disciples. Let that be a challenge to us as we set the example. We'll see if we stand up and set the example. We'll see uh, artists and creatives worshiping God in new and exciting ways. We'll see people practicing, young people practicing the ancient traditions of our faith with humility and reverence, building a deep connection to the divine. Saying yes to investing back into, into God's people, saying yes to setting an example, means we'll see younger than ever before life group leaders who are willing to open their hearts and their home and their experience to others to so that people see the kingdom of God. If you say yes to being an example to a, a world that needs it, saying yes to Jesus, we'll see a generation whose hearts are gripped with the power of prayer to pray without ceasing till God moves heaven and earth, to hunger and thirst for His presence. We'll see a generation whose hearts are gripped and investing into and, and longing to care for the poor, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, going to the four corners of the earth just like Melody does to spread the good news of Jesus where the cry of the oppressed is deafening, will be sent to silence it with love of Jesus. If you say yes, I will set the example. We'll see a generation like an army that are willing to serve God, not just in church, but in any place with a cry of injustice and oppression and poverty is too loud. See, we need a new generation to take this seriously and say, yes, I'm in. I will set the example and show my friends, my family, my, my, my college, my university, my neighbours, everyone who I come into contact with, I will show them the love and light of Jesus and say, will you follow him with me? And to do this, every generation here needs to invest in the one right behind us. So I want to ask a question tonight as we, we wrap up tonight. Are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to say yes to be someone's one-up and invest in someone? Are you willing to say yes to find two people to invest in? Are you willing to say yes, Jesus, I will set an example for your kingdom here on earth? I want to invite you just to close your eyes right where you are right now. If you're feeling the beating of the Holy Spirit in your heart to say, yes, I will. Yes, I will set the example. Yes, I will show a world in need, uh, uh, desperate, who desperately needs to know you. I will stand up and say, yes, here I am. Lord. I want to actually take a bold, courage, courageous move tonight. If you will say yes to be a disciple who will make disciples, to be a young leader or be a leader who invests in those around you, I want to invite you to stand with me right now. If you're going to say yes, to setting the example. Just on your feet. Don't worry about anyone else around you. Stand to your feet right now. And say, yes, I'm in. I'm in. 
to being a disciple who will make disciples. I'm yes to, be, to, to letting someone develop my leadership. I want to invite you right now to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if that's you. God calls us, each and every one, to say yes in our own way. But tonight, if you believe, the Spirit is asking you to, to make this night a night where you live life differently, where you're choosing to intentionally invest in the world, those around you and those under you and those above you, saying, yes, I'm all in Jesus as a disciple. Last chance, just stay on your feet. I'm all in. I'm going to take your call to be a disciple seriously. I'm going to take your call to, to, to serve a world in need seriously. Just stay on your feet. Why don't you open your eyes for a second and look around? People standing, people sitting. We're the church. The world needs us to show up. So if you're, sta- if you're sitting near one of these guys standing, why don't you reach out your hand? We're going to pray for one another tonight because we are the church. These people have been saying yes to live out their life on behalf of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Make sure someone's got someone around them reaching out their hand. Make sure you get, get close. Get around them. Get amongst it tonight. God, we want to thank you for every person who's on their feet right now who said yes to taking this message seriously. That we will say yes to being the example of God in a world that desperately needs to know you. That we will say yes to see revival happen in our families, to say yes, to see revival happen in our neighbourhoods, yes, to see revival happen across the globe in the darkest places. For every person standing tonight, God, we pray that you would bring your goodness and your kindness on their life. Give them words and ears straight to heaven to hear from you. Give them a heart that beats and burns with passion tonight, God. Birth new songs in their heart, birth new words, birth messages in their heart. Give them anointing for their lips. Give them everything, every spiritual gift they need and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Right now in Jesus' name we pray that they would change a world for Jesus starting tonight the second they walk out these doors. We're all in, Jesus. We're all in. And tonight we want to pray for revival in our nation. We want to pray for revival in our land. God, show us tonight how each and every one of us can be an answer to prayer and see revival happen in our community, nation and world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We pray this in your holy holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You just stay on your feet. Actually, why don't we all stand on our feet right now? We're going to sing and respond and I just think God's up to something here tonight. Let God speak to you. Let God uh, just lean into His presence. Lean into what He's saying through the worship we bring tonight because it is all for Jesus. The one who calls us His daughter, calls us His son. It's all for Him. Let's worship. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes to our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.